Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska today. And uh, I want to thank our show sponsor first, before we go into anything, Gungerstein for Senate. It's because of Gungerstein for Senate sponsoring the show that we were able to get in all the nooks and crannies of Alaska, which is very exciting. So our hats off to Gungerstein for Senate for sponsoring the show. Thank you so much. She was actually on the show yesterday for folks uh, interested in hearing more about her. She's a nonpartisan candidate running for U.S. Senate. You can check out our show yesterday. She's uh, got a couple critical words for our President Joe Biden, which is always an interesting thing to uh, listen to. And uh, man, I am in, uh, for those of you, again, living under a rock or a stone or in a small closet and you've been trapped in there for about a week and a half, Donald Trump is coming to town, which is very exciting. I am in Anchorage right now. I'll be doing some live streams um, to see if there's anybody in line. I, you know, we're, we, we've been told that people camp out there 24 hours in advance. I won't be <laughs> doing that, but I'll definitely be talking to people if they're out there camping out 24 hours in advance. So if you're in line today and you're listening, I will be there soon and we can have a live stream conversation. And for folks wanting to go to the Trump event, you're gonna wanna show up early. The, the event is tomorrow. And, uh, you know, if you show up two hours before the event, you ain't getting in. If you show up three hours or four hours before the event, I bet you're not going to get in. You got to show up super early. And uh, it's free. They're basically free tickets. Um, you can buy a ticket for, I think, 220 bucks or 50 bucks that guarantees you a spot. But uh, if you just wait in line, they're free, which is kind of exciting. So, um, without further ado, I want to introduce our guest, who's a friend of mine, City Council Member Richard Best of Palmer. How are you doing today, Richard? Hey, John. I am doing wonderful. And if you happen to take a look at my photographs on Facebook this morning, Palmer's Daybreak Over the Mountains, just gorgeous. You can't beat it around here. That's awesome. Well, you can't you can't beat much in Palmer. It's pretty awesome. I think I got you beat with a couple things in Mikiski, but Palmer is a beautiful city. And uh, I think it's home to one of my favorite uh, kind of like secondhand thrift shops that's right underneath that water tower there. It's they got a pretty awesome. Uh, it's like a, the if anybody watched that picker show on uh, AMC, it's kind of like that. And uh, Palmer's a great place to live and be from. So welcome, Richard, to the Must Read Alaska show. You are on the city council for Palmer. How did you first get involved in politics? You've been an effective leader in Palmer. And uh, you've also worked for some legislative uh, folks. How did you get involved in politics in the first place? Uh, like a lot of folks, I accidentally stepped into it. You know, and you get it on your shoe a little bit and then, um, and then it's kind of around you. Um, no, it's just um, you, you, get, you get involved uh, in your local stuff, uh, something that's going on that affects you, uh, that you hear about somebody uh, doing something uh, that maybe is going to affect your neighborhood. And that's how it happened with myself. Uh, the subdivision uh, development was coming in and uh, there was a trail back behind us. 
and uh, started talking to some neighbors. All of a sudden, <laughs> it always the of politics. the trail back behind you. <laughs> Absolutely. So you yeah. you ran was uh, was this your first uh, uh, segment in office, or had you have you been on the city council before? And how has it been? How have the race has been since you know, uh, you've won? Politics in Palmer has changed a bit. Um, so 2003, I was appointed to city council, uh, had been on planning and zoning for some period of time, uh, and then ended up stepping down. There was a little bit of controversy and then, um, got reelected in 2005, I believe. But back then you could run just based off of your involvement in the community, uh, just word of mouth, uh, never even put up a sign for my yeah. first three campaigns. That's awesome. Just yeah. That's small town around right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh word of mouth and just uh going around talking to folks and being involved and stuff. And there you go. And people just uh look to see that that's that's what they'd like to have in a representative. So so you've been on there for a number of years. Do you have any one or two things that you're pretty excited about that you were able to accomplish uh while you're on the city council? You know what? For the most part, I'd like to say that if if people aren't complaining about it, you're doing a pretty good job. Uh, I think that sometimes you get into some situations where you're going to have a lot of uh, conversations going on, but doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing a bad job. But um, I would say that making sure that Palmer, the government, government is out of people's way. It's not growing. It's staying in its lanes. It's efficient as, as it can be. And it just uh, gets out of everybody's way. Well, Palmer, uh, if people have been po following politics in Alaska, they might have noticed this last year or so, uh, Palmer got a little woke in their politics. And mm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, give us kind of the elevator talk, maybe a little more in depth than that, of what that, what led to the recall and what the recall was like and why you think it was successful? Okay, so we, we've had some recalls in the last several years um, that have been kind of cult of personality, almost a personal attacks. Uh, somebody didn't like a decision, but not necessarily um, somebody doing something against the law. And we have the Open Meetings Act, which uh, basically states how local government uh, meetings are going to be. Oh, my lights are flickering here. Oh, it's all good. Hopefully it's not affecting you. No, no, it's Let me good. Give me a switch real quick. Okay, there we go. Uh, anyhow, um, the, the local politics happens, and uh, the question was. Oh, uh, so the recall effort. So tell us about uh, why the recall took place in the first place, kind of what that yeah. looked like, and why why it was successful. Back to it was it was based off of a legal question as to whether or not uh, conversations that were germane to the city politics had happened in a private closed group. It wasn't open to the public. Um, it's been something that with Facebook and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, messaging emails, I mean, back to when Sarah Palin was a uh, uh, governor, you know, we had uh, the open meetings act that was coming into 
uh, and people wanted to have the uh, email uh, strings that were happening with the governor uh, of the of Alaska at the time. So communication, how we get the communication of our governance is important. Uh, when we start getting into situations where the public is outside of a public discussion, that's when it becomes uh, sticky because we would like to all be aware of what our local government is doing. So did these folks allegedly do this or did they fess up to, did they fess up to, to breaking the Open Meetings Act? Well, oh, we had several people had been notified that there was this group happening and there was people inside the group that noticed that some of these, uh, that four individuals of the council was on, in, involved in it. And so they started taking screenshots and then that information got to uh, members of the public and members of the community, and uh, we started raising questions. And at that point, um, it was notified, people were informed that they were doing things, and it became an immediate, not about discussion about what had happened, but about who was bringing the information, or how did they get the information. And it became uh, about shoot the messenger. And so this probably got brought to the attention of the clerk, you know, in the form of a recall petition. Um, and uh, my guess is because they got uh, recalled that the clerk approved this recall petition for some reason or another. Well, we, we did do an investigation. Um, the attorney uh, did find that uh, his belief was that uh, if it had gone to court, that they would have been found guilty of uh, breaking the Open Meetings Act. But the caveat in that is that a lot of folks are saying that they weren't convicted of anything. Well, it's because nobody sued the city for anything, yeah. which means that there couldn't have been a verdict. So it's not that, you know, it's not like your drunk driving charge just got dismissed and it just never happened. Well, no, you still were drunk driving through a residential neighborhood. It still happened. Okay. Whether it got, gets dismissed or not doesn't make any difference. It still happened. That's where we were at, at this point was that it did happen. And at that point, because we didn't have a, um, it wasn't a guilty verdict, but then it was the public could have that information and went to the voters. And then they got to determine that they were going to be removed from their office. So it sounds like somebody had some meetings that they probably shouldn't have an investigation did happen um, and uh, this professional attorney ruled that if it would have been, you know, put put forward through, you know, somebody suing you or whatnot, that they they would have found evidence that would uh, find them guilty. And so it got thrown on the ballot as a recall and they all got everybody involved in those meetings got recalled, is my understanding. Is that correct? So originally when the investigation had happened and it came out, it was right before the last election and one of the individuals was not uh, reelected. So then the recall actually went and instead of going through all four of them, only went to actually three of them later on. But um, the three of them um, that got recalled had opportunities that they could have said, you know, Yes, this is what what happened, and there could have been a process for going and and being censured or something like that. That never came about, and it just there was never uh, 
never an acknowledgement that what they had done was wrong. Yeah. I think that's probably what resonates the most with the citizens of Palmer is that there has still been no, yes, we, we broke the law. And, and whatever the penalty is, fair enough, but there was never an acceptance of that they did anything wrong. Yeah, I think sometimes a slice of humble pie can do somebody some good. <laughs> you know, it's uh, everybody screws up, everybody makes mistakes. This sounds like a pretty um, uh, pre-thought out, organized mistake. But I still think, just like you said, you just got to say, sorry about that. You still let the chips fall where they may. You still make it recalled. But you got these people still have to go buy milk and pump gas in the community. And uh, man, I would would want uh, to be on the good side of folks in Palmer rather than the bad side. Um, do you think folks in Palmer have, has this been an aha moment or a wake up call for folks? The folks, the people that got recalled seem to be maybe a little more liberal than the average person in Palmer. Has this kind of stirred up conservatives to get out there and get their butts off their couch and go vote? You know, it was, it was really intriguing. Um, so this was a citizens involved uh, recall. This was the people. This wasn't the elected officials, me, being involved to, to strip somebody else, somebody of, you know, that was uh, an opponent of mine uh, of their seat. This was the citizens. This is the grassroots. This is them going out and getting uh, signatures and, and, and gathering all the information. I think that is very important to understand because that is the people taking power back into their own hands. Yeah. Now with that, I had some legislation that recently came about that is going to come about uh, in a future meeting uh, to potentially send it to the voters about some language that would prohibit those who have been recalled from seeking an office again. So for a period of time, maybe it's one cycle or two cycles, yeah, cooling it's called, off period. It's called the cool down time. <laughs> exactly. So if you think about uh, voter initiatives and um, uh, referendums, the legislative bodies cannot touch those for two years. It's a cooling off period because it takes such an effort for the public to get involved. And it's an emotional thing for them, right? If the public is actually having to strip politicians from their power, there's some emotion behind that. Yep. We need to have some cooling off. Okay, so, but that's what we had heard. We had heard from a lot of folks that they didn't want these individuals from being able to to get back into uh, the process again. So I put language out there, and in our statutes, my opinion, because it's in, in our statutes and our charter, that that statutes the tools that the legislative body has to affect. There are some folks that believe that it should go to the voters, and I also believe it should go to the voters for it to become a permanence, because then the legislative bodies can't retract it two years from now. So that would be the important part of that. So I would hope that we can put it to the voters to have them choose whether or not we would let people who have been recalled from holding office again. Well, And I'm curious whether or not it could be retroactive. So this... Uh piece of uh, legislation that you're bringing forward if it gets passed by the city council then it goes to the palmer voters to vote on is that what i'm understanding correct it would go to the next regular election but there is a election 
process that we're going to be going through. So we've got mayor and then a whole bunch of council seats are going to come up available because we've had all the recalls. So we're going to have five council seats and a mayor seat. Wow. So busy election for Palmer, man. And, you know, we've had some other controversy. You had spoke about woke moments in Palmer and we have had some woke moments, you know, the braided river controversy, uh, renaming of colony days that was reversed. Um, those were chamber of commerce issues. Um, and you know, people stepped up, um, people stood up, businesses felt the impact and they said, wait a minute, you know, the way that the conversations happened, the way that the determination, the process, it was very much giving the feeling of, uh, planned covert for reason. Yeah. Yeah, the, whether it was or not. Yeah, one of the things I love about living in Nikiski is, um, you know, most per, most parades. You know, you talked about parades. Most parades are like owned by maybe a government agency or a chamber of commerce or the marketing tourism arm that's funded by the government. In most communities, that's the case. In Nikiski, we just put together a parade. We don't have any official, you know, sponsorships or, you know. Uh, assembly person spearheading it. It's just a bunch of folks in the Kissy that put it together. Now we didn't do it this year, but we've done it in years in the past uh, recently. And I think that uh, I think oftentimes people forget that the powers in them to do stuff. If you want stuff done, go do it. And I think this is a prime example of this little name change that they tried to pull off to see how far they could push the envelope people realize, well, crap, I'm, I can, we can make a difference here. We can, we can uh, come against this and make sure that it doesn't happen. And they were successful at it. So for folks that are listening, never underestimate the power of you. The reason why a lot of things uh, uh, happen in Juno that you don't like is because we're not able to show up. And um, there's a certain power in folks showing up and banging on the doors and asking for what they want. And so just never forget that. So my question to you, this is Richard, how does somebody make a difference in today's political world? You've seen some firsthand examples of that with the recall effort, but let's say you're this everyday stay at home dad or soccer mom or whatever it is. And you have 17 things you're trying to do during the day, including, you know, uh, hockey practice and hockey games and football practice and taking the kids to school, going to band, go into some play and you only have this much time for politics and how does that person make a difference? First off vote. When you go to vote, take a friend, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah. Right. Um, The participation aspect, you know, all of us are always busy. Um, It's called sacrifice for a reason. Uh, You have to sacrifice a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of information that's out there, folks like you, um, you've got organizations that are out there. We've got, uh, women's groups that are out there. You've got PTAs and a lot of, a lot of these have digital connections, Facebook, Twitter, whatever that kind of stuff. You can follow that and you can take little samples of what you need. You know, if you just only got a little bit of time, you can get involved. You can be out there, you can participate, you can get in, in your, you know, groups pay attention. 
So uh, talk to friends. You know what? And Representative Carpenter, who I used to work for, uh, great man, uh, and his staff down there, Kendra, um, he has really talked about having the uncomfortable conversations, that we have gotten away from having uncomfortable conversations in our churches, with our friends. You know, everybody's always told to not talk politics and religion. Um, I think that we have to. We have to start having those conversations. You got to be okay with disagreeing with me and we're going to be okay with it. And so I think that's really important. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I've talked to a number of guests that, um, you know, a lot of our listeners would probably disagree with me, but I think that, um, or some of our listeners, I would say would disagree with me, but I think it's important to be able to sit across the table from somebody who doesn't see even close to eye to eye to you in the political world or the church world or whatever world it is and have a discussion with them without screaming at the top of our lungs and, you know, protesting their business because God forbid they believe some different thing about health than you do. And I think that's kind of what we've come to because of the mainstream media. When I say the mainstream media, I mean like the big four networks that are on TV 24 seven, all they're producing is, screams, yells, violence, you know, protests with blood pouring on their faces, you know, uh, people dying in the streets. And so we get this sense that we literally have to, I have to combat you if I want, if you're ever going to hear my viewpoint. And I think uh, that that's just not a great way to do it. Nobody, you know, I, I, the layman's term example, I, I shout about that is, somebody shows up to your house, banging on the door, screaming in your face about how dumb your lawn is, or, you know, something, they don't like your flowers. Are you going to sit there and listen to them and change your flowers out or change the color of your lawn? No, you're you got your neighbor screaming in your face, and jamming on your door. You're going to tell them to get lost. And that's pretty much how the other team is going to look at us. If that's our um, strategy with them and how to interact with them, have to have some compassion have to have some humility. And I think we've lost that, unfortunately, but I don't think it's too far gone. I think we can, we can um, turn the old wooden ship still and figure out how to have a little slice of humble pie. So uh, Richard, who's been a hero of yours? I, your political career started way uh, 2013, you're appointed, but before that you're on the planning commission. So you've done a lot of public service in your uh, over the last 20 years. Um, who's been somebody that you looked up to as, as maybe um, a hero or just somebody that you've looked up to over the years? Mm. So many over the years. Um, you know, one of my first political affiliations at all um, was um, Alfred Willis. Alfred Willis was the chief of Nikiski Fire Department. And he is actually in the Pioneer home here in Palmer. And he was a Reagan appointee in California um, and had was, you know, Reagan's guy when Reagan was uh, was governor. And then he later came to uh, Alaska and ended up running the Nikiski Fire Department and helped, uh, you know, develop the escape road and and all that uh, that's out there. Um and really made the Kiski Fire Department what it is today. Uh, and then uh, uh, Chief Harris uh, was behind him. 
uh, they helped really build that. But he was probably my first political um, hero, I guess. I bet he had some stories coming from, was he like a fire head of the fire stuff in California appointed by Reagan when Reagan was governor? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the exact title that he had, I I don't, I don't recall. I actually have a uh, black and white copy. So I did an interview of him in fifth grade uh, (laughs) and did a story and uh, I've got a picture of the the story and the, uh, and him in uh, with Reagan and in California. So that was kind of a big deal. That's a cool memory. Yeah, yeah. So what's my next? Ne- oh, I was going to jump in there real quick. Oh, my, yeah, yeah. my next, my next little piece of politics was uh, in high school, going to a school board meeting when they were talking about cutting football from Kenai High School, and we got up and members of the football team got up there, and I'm actually on the record giving my two cents to the school board. Nice. And so uh, yeah, I participated back then. Well, now the Kenai Peninsula Borough's got a rock star uh, superintendent and uh we are you know we're pretty blessed on the kenai peninsula seems like a lot of superintendents these days are way left of center um and uh our guy here on the kenai peninsula is pretty awesome even though again i don't agree with all the stuff he does he sits down and listens to all sides of the issue which historically superintendents are horrible at so um, we're blessed here on the Kenai Peninsula. We continue to be blessed. You should move back. We would gladly accept you back to Nikiski. Um, I uh, I appreciate you spending time with us today, Richard. So, what's next for you on the on the gamut? You've been on the city council for a number of years. You've been chief of staff, I believe, for uh, Ben Carpenter. Uh, do you have any political plans in the future? Or are you going to lay low for a while? What's the plans? Yeah, so uh, some people know, some people don't. I took a little family medical leave. I've uh, been dealing with some injuries. Uh, just took a little me time, uh, kind of reset a little bit. Uh, I'm looking to come back at 100%. And, uh, you know, where I'm going to go and land, I don't know. Um, it's a third career kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to reinvent myself or uh, or or drop a dime somewhere else and, uh, and help <laughs> out in some other part of the state. But wherever our community needs us, you know how it is. Hey, we might need a mayor in Nikiski soon when we incorporate. So keep there going. we go. <laughs> well, I want to thank uh, Richard Best for joining us today on the Must Read Alaska show. Richard is the city council member in Palmer. He was first appointed in 2003, and he's been elected several times since. Former chief of staff for Representative Ben Carpenter, who's my favorite rep in the whole state. He is a rock star representative. He's low key high class and uh, does exactly what he says he's going to do, which you can't ask for much more than that. And uh, so thanks everybody for tuning into the Must Read Alaska show. You're going to want to check out the Must Read Alaska page today, especially tomorrow. Today, I'm going to try to do some live streaming from the Trump event if there's folks in line, but tomorrow I'm going to be definitely live streaming from inside the event. And we got some special things planned for tomorrow. So you're going to, if you can't make the event, let's say you're in Fairbanks or Bethel or Southeast Alaska or even Kenai or Anchorage, and you can't make the event because of uh, you don't want to travel or you don't want to wait in line for 10 hours, or maybe you did wait in line for six hours, you didn't get in, you're going to be able to check out some real awesome snippets of the event tomorrow on the Must Alaska Facebook page. So stay tuned to that. 
And until next time from somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick signing off. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much, Richard. Hey, John.